All right, we are going to uh, continue today for the next several weeks. I'm taking a break from the Gospel of John, uh, and we're going to study the theology of the third day. And I would ask you to keep copies of these outlines. And the reason I'm going to ask you to do that is I believe that this is one of the more significant and poignant ways you can teach someone who is not a Christian about why we are Christians. We don't just do something by happenstance. We don't believe that it's an accident that Jesus came to this world. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because God told us for 2,000 years before Jesus was born that he was going to send Jesus. And not only that, God told us 2,000 years before Jesus was born that on the third day something incredible would happen, the likes of which the world would never see. The third day. And God told us over and over and over again. Uh, and he did it the way God does it. He does it most often typologically, meaning he gives you a way to see it in a metaphor, telling you that be aware, this is going to take place. This is going to be a different way of looking at things. Uh, and so this is critical thing. This is what separates us from the world. No other religion has this. And that's what separates the Bible from every other religion. God has spoken to us and made it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ is his son and the savior of this world. And so that's why I want you to save these outlines. That's why I want you to be able to go back and look at them so that you can speak to your friends and neighbors about why we say what we do. Why we believe it. Now, all of this teaching comes out of the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. I gave you that outline in June. I gave it to you again, not to go over it, but so that you have it for a frame of reference. The point of that being that on the third day, the two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem heartbroken. Because they believed in Jesus and they thought something would happen and that Jesus would, would be their, their leader and political leader and take, take charge and be their Messiah. Instead, he was crucified, and now he's dead, and now they're walking away brokenhearted, and they meet up with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It's about a, oh, I don't know, a three, four, five-hour walk, maybe a five-hour walk, and Jesus is walking with them, and they don't recognize him. Jesus has hidden his identity, and Jesus then says to them, why are you brokenhearted? Don't you realize all the things that the Christ had to suffer. And he then opens the Bible and teaches them for the next five hours about all the things in the Bible that were effectively portending his coming. And that's what we're doing now. We're showing you the things that Jesus said. I would imagine that that had to be one of the great sermons of all time. Jesus opening the Bible. Can you just imagine that? Jesus just speaking off the top of his head. After all, he wrote the verses. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, and there he is just going verse by verse by verse from Genesis right through, showing everything. And, and these, these two disciples are just astonished. And what an incredible thing. And so I gave you all of the references in the New Testament that showed that the New Testament uh, church was well aware of where, of where this third day began and what it was about. Uh, and so this is important. This is important. This is one of the critical teachings that we do that I really believe resonates uh, and with the world. And so 
Now, today, we're going to study for the next several weeks some of the examples in the Old Testament. There are about 40. I'm not going to do all of them. I'm going to highlight them for you. But there are about 40 examples of the third day so that God has begun to demonstrate to the Jewish people first and now to us what was going to take place on the third day. And so today we're going to study the story of Abraham and Isaac. And you have always studied it uh, and been taught that it represented the story of submission and obedience. Uh, and meaning that Abraham was told to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, the most important thing in the world to him, because God had told him and asked him, you need to do this to me. And Abraham obeyed God. He had submitted to God. And we had always told, been taught that that was the critical lesson. Well, today I'm going to tell you that, yes, that's a lesson, but there's an even greater lesson than that. Because God is writing, writing right here in Genesis 2,000 years before Jesus will be born, 2,000 years before Christ will come to this world, God is writing what would take place. Uh, and we don't hear this taught too much um, in church. Uh, and so I want to really emphasize this to you today. And so you have your outline there, and, and you can follow along with that as I begin reading Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out the place of God had told him about. On the third day, underline it. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Please underline that verse. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, you should know that Mount Moriah, where he went, will be effectively the mount where Jerusalem will be founded. There is no Jerusalem at this point. Jerusalem will be founded. And the temple mount, the temple itself, the first temple will be built on that site. And that will be the site where Jesus will be sacrificed. Can you imagine that? 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is going to be sacrificed right on the same spot where God spared uh, Isaac. So this is an incredible uh, typology that God is teaching the Jewish people and now us about what it means, what it means to be a Christian. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 19. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. When you look at this story and you see the third day, the, and on the third day, what it means that Isaac was spared from death on the third day. They're walking, and Isaac is walking, being prepared to die. And on the third day of that walk, it is that third day in which Isaac is spared from death. Now, let's understand something. Uh, this is an incredible uh, passage showing faith and submission on the part of Abraham. It was his only son. Remember, he waited till he was about 100 years old for this boy. Uh, and so it was a gift from God. And God said that there will be generation after generation that will come from you like the sands on the beach from this boy. And yet now God is saying, take him. He's going to take him. You would imagine that Abraham, like any of us, would have said, God, what are you, what are you doing? What's this about? But Abraham believed in God. He had faith in God, believing that if God wanted him dead, God would raise him from the dead, if that's what he wanted. But there's another important lesson here, because you're going to hear people say to you about this story, well, what kind of a God do you have? Really, I read this story, I'm offended by this story. You've heard that, right? I'm going to kill your boy. I want you to kill your boy. Let's understand something. From the beginning of time, you read Deuteronomy, God made it very clear, and I give you those verses, God never, never compromised regarding uh, human sacrifice. In fact, God specifically repudiated human sacrifice. And so Abraham uh, would know that God was against human sacrifice, even though it was typical for that region of the world for them to do that, to have human sacrifice. But in Deuteronomy, it was quite, quite clear, the verses on that are Deuteronomy chapter 12, 
verse 31, Deuteronomy 12, 31. We won't read it now, but God made it very clear. You will not get involved in human sacrifice. So Deuteronomy is not written here at this point, but clearly I want you to know God would not countenance human sacrifice. So this was being set up as a test in which it would never take place. But it is a test typologically to let you know that one day, just like Abraham is sacrificing his only son, God would in fact take his only son and sacrifice him that, that way. And on the third day, the way Isaac was spared from death, Jesus Christ would rise from the dead and death would be defeated forevermore. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, that's it. The most important thing, yes. Isn't death considered the curse from Satan and it being ownership of your soul until Christ dies and then through him you're redeemed? It's well said. Death is considered really the result of the fall of Adam and Eve. All right? And since the fall of Adam and Eve came about because of Satan, effectively that's exactly what it is. We die, physically we die, because we have fallen to sin. God did not intend for us to die. He did not intend for us to die. He did not intend for our bodies to be weakened by sickness. He did not intend that. All of that, including the fall of nature, including the fall of weather... All right? God didn't intend for hurricanes to take place. All of that took place when sin came into this world. All of that. And one day this world will be redeemed from that. But it's important for you to recognize that all of this now is taking place on a hill, Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem will be found, where the first temple and the second temple will be built, and where ultimately Jesus Christ will be sacrificed. And so here the two of them go up to this mount together. And it's the third day. And we know that on the third day, Isaac is going to be spared from death. And as they walk up on that hill, Isaac did not understand the father's purpose. Uh, and he says, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Uh, and I love this, this line, where Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb, the sacrifice. How do you like that? God himself, 2,000 years before it takes place, he says to his son, God himself will provide the sacrifice. This is supposed to resonate in your hearts. And with the Jewish people recognizing when Jesus came, this is not an accident. I've been telling you this for 2,000 years. And you haven't listened. And so you see this. And then, and then look, at, look at exactly how this takes place. Uh, the wood for the sacrifice is laid on Isaac. He actually carries the wood. Just the way Jesus would carry the cross. Uh, and, and, and he willingly was allowing himself to be sacrificed. Now let's understand something. Isaac was probably 20 years old at this point. His father is probably now 115 or 120. Uh, are you getting a sense for, for what it would have taken for Isaac to say to the old man, Are you kidding me? You're, you're binding me up to some wood? I don't trust you. Have you lost your mind? I mean, honestly, you can just see this whole picture taking place. And yet you see the act of submission. And God is demonstrating to you that one day on that very spot, our creator himself will submit himself to a wicked world and allow himself to be sacrificed. 
Don't you think that Jesus could have gotten off that cross? You understand that. He could have called 10,000 angels and been taken off that cross. And yet he willingly, just the way Isaac did, he willingly allowed himself uh, to be sacrificed. Uh, and, and that picture that Isaac, that Abraham now raises the knife and is about to sacrifice, about to sacrifice Isaac, and, and God himself stops, stops it uh, and stops it. But then, 2,000 years later, it would not be stopped. It would not be stopped. God would allow it to go on, and Christ would willingly be sacrificed. And you see, you understand the heart of God as you read this. The heart of God, seeing, seeing his son, Jesus Christ, perish on the cross. I hope, you're, I hope you're getting a deeper feeling, a deeper understanding of what it took, what it took for this to take place, and how God wanted the human race to understand it and why he, he wrote this story 2,000 years before. And so the ram appears in the thicket, just as, as Abraham said, God would provide for the sacrifice. That's right. It's not going to be your son. It's going to be a substitutionary sacrifice. And now it's the ram, but in 2,000 years it will be Jesus Christ. All on the third day. Why do you think? I mean, don't you find it incredible that here it is, this story is being written now. It took place in the year 2000. Moses is writing it because God is speaking through Moses. So Moses is writing it, and Moses is writing this story probably somewhere around the year 1400, 1300 writing this, he didn't know the significance of the third day. I want you to understand that. I don't want you to think that this is some editor put this in later. This is, how, this is the actual word. And on the third day. And Moses writes it down. As if he were sitting there with Abraham on the third day. It's because God wanted you to know that the world would never be the same. That it would be changed forever because on the third day, death would be defeated. And that's exactly what happened. Isaac was spared from death on the third day. And a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice would be uh, given to us. And so, in the fullness of time, God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, whose miraculous birth was like that of Isaac. I mean, let's face it, it was, it was, uh, it, it was a miracle, Jesus' birth. And Isaac's birth was miraculous. I mean, a man and a woman are 100 years old and they're giving birth to a baby? Are you kidding me? You understand the significance of that, but that's what God does. And now, uh, that was just as Jesus' birth was foretold by an angel, Isaac's birth was foretold by an angel. Uh, now they walk up the very same hill. Isaac and Abraham walking up the same hill that in 2,000 years Jesus would walk up. Um, and... and God, God would ultimately not spare his son, but offer him. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. If you want to have an understanding of why God is with you and what God can do for you, there it is. There it is. And he, and he, and he indicated that early on, 2,000 years before Christ would be born, he indicated it very clearly that this is what his intention was, this is what he would do, and right there on the mountain of God, right there on the mountain of God, uh, Mount Moriah, uh, you will see Jesus Christ coming and giving his life up for us. And so, uh, as I said to you earlier, the Torah spoke very clearly about the fact that God did not countenance human sacrifice. Would not. And so, anyone who would read this to say, well, your God intended to take Isaac's life, you, you have a, an awful God. Don't, don't speak like that. You don't understand the mind of God. You don't understand the mind of God. When I hear people in the world speaking like this, it really offends me that they talk like this without understanding the Bible, not having the Holy Spirit to explain these things to them. And that's what your job is. Your job is to be able to talk to people and be able to explain it. That's why I want you to keep these outlines now because this is going to be important. And so, this story is a carefully, carefully constructed divine pattern. Listen to what I just said. This is a carefully constructed divine pattern. It is called typology. T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. Typology. Meaning, it will be a type of Jesus Christ. As you read the words, the words tell you about the story, the event, but the words speak on a higher level. It speaks typologically of a more important event to come. It speaks typologically of Jesus Christ, of the sacrifice on the cross to come on the third day. Now, and that's why this is important. And so here are the types, and I will compare them for you. First of all, Abraham offered his only son. And by the way, you notice how it says there, he, you, you offer your son, and then it repeats your only son. Now, let me ask you something. Why did it say your only son? Well, they knew it was his only son. Come on. Why did he repeat the word your only son? He repeated that word for you. That was for you, for the Jewish people. Your only son, meaning Jesus Christ, the only son of God, would be offered as well. Take a look at John 3.16 and tell me if it reads differently now that you see this. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, does that word, does that sentence resonate with you in a way that it maybe didn't before? Because you see that the very words, his one and only son, go back 2,000 years to Mount Moriah, when Abraham is told, sacrifice your son, your only son. Words don't happen by accident. All right? The Bible doesn't, isn't just a careless melange of words. It is, the, it is the divine word of God. Every word in the scripture 
has been weighed and carefully thought up. You know, I was with a, a good person this past weekend who, who, who says he's a Christian, and I believe that he is. Uh, but, but he says to me, uh, well, I, really, I don't really believe the, the Bible. I believe it's all metaphors. It's all metaphors. And I just, I just shook my head. I just shook my head. And I, you know, I said, but, but how, do you, how do you... I went through that verse. I said, read this verse. Because this is a person that believes that there's a thousand ways to, to God. Do you believe he's a Christian? Yeah. <laughs> it's a former Catholic priest. Former Catholic priest. A man who believes in Jesus, but also believes that, that, that Jesus can manifest himself uh, to Buddhists, and that even the practices of the Buddhists uh, may, be, may be related. It's just, it just, you see what happens when you don't believe the truth? You understand when you don't believe the truth, and I and I, and I said to him, "What me, what metaphor is this in John three sixteen? There's no metaphor. It couldn't be crystal, more crystal clear. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ, and our job is to lead the world. I understand you want to be pals with everybody. It's hard to be with people and say you're you're lost. You're you're not going to see Jesus Christ. You're not going to be in heaven. But you're not you're not being a friend." You really are not loving somebody unless you, you give them that message. Amen. I can't say this enough. Uh, and I made sure that I drilled it home with my, this friend of mine. I drilled it home over and over and over again uh, in, in, in so many ways. But here it is. You understand how critical this message is. The idea that there is a substitutionary sacrifice that God demands that he wrote about 2,000 years before. And Jesus would be that sacrifice. One and only son. Now, Isaac carries the wood to the sacrifice. We read that. Isaac carries the wood. Jesus would carry the cross himself the same way. Um, Isaac cries out to his father. Jesus would, would cry out to God during the time that he's on the cross. Isaac escapes death after the third day. On the third day, Isaac escapes death. Jesus rises from the dead on the third day. Turn to Matthew 16. And by the way, folks, you see, people, they call themselves Christians and they're good people, but they're just not, they haven't read the Bible. They've been taught some bad theology. And I mean, it's sad. Yes, they believe in Jesus, but then they believe some of this other garbage that goes along with it. And, and, it's, and it's not right. And it's not right. And, and that's the job that God wants us to do. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. How do you like that? He's telling his disciples before the crucifixion. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go through these events. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. Now, here's the thing. They're there, and obviously this is all going over their head. Because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. 
but eventually they do get it. They do get it. Um, Abraham indicated, typologically, Abraham indicated that God would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And then we know that God does provide Jesus as the lamb for that sacrifice. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 53. Verse 7. Now this is written 800 years. Okay, so let's get, I want to give you the chronology. The story of Abraham is about 2,000 years. This story now, Isaiah is written about 800 years before Christ. Verse 7. He was oppressed, and this speaks about Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He was the sacrificial lamb. There it is, written by God himself 800 years before. Uh, The ram was caught by its horns in a thicket. That's in Genesis 22, verse 13. The ram, the sacrifice. Uh, Jesus would wear a crown of thorns on his head. Amazing. One typological issue after another. Uh, The sacrifice takes place and is offered at a specific location on Mount Moriah. Hundreds of years later, there would be thousands upon thousands of sacrifices made on the same uh, spot inside Solomon's temple. On the same spot. So let's understand this as you read the Bible and you understand what goes on here. Mount Moriah would be the location for Jerusalem. On this spot in Mount Moriah would be the area where the first temple would be built by Solomon. It would then be followed up by a second temple also on this spot. And Jesus would take would be sacrificed on this spot. Accident? Happenstance? Maybe in the world... But not with the Bible. Not with the Bible. The ram was provided as God's provision. uh, And Abraham prophetically named the place. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as man is destined to to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So there you see the perfect sacrifice. 
sacrificed once, not sacrificed multiple times, once for all mankind, for everyone. And so Abraham names that place, uh, the Lord will provide. How do you like that? What's the location of that place, Abraham? It's called the Lord will provide. How about that? 2000, it's not called Calvary then. It's not called Golgotha. It's called the Lord will provide. Uh, and how, how amazing is this? So to me, this is an incredible story. Incredible story. I was taught this story, as probably you were as well, that it was about the issue of, of submission, both of Abraham and Isaac submitting to God. And yes, it is a story of submission of Abraham and Isaac to God. Yes, it is. But it's much more. It's much more God is speaking to us 2,000 years before Jesus would come, telling us, I'm going to provide a sacrifice for mankind. I demand a sacrifice because I'm a holy God. Abraham, you have to understand this. I know Isaac is the most important thing you own. You love Isaac more than anything. You never thought you would have an heir, and I gave him to you. Now, I want you to give back to me your one and only. That with which you value more than anything else. I want to see how much you love me. Do you love me more than your own family? Well, that's a big one. Are you willing to give up your family for me? Are you willing to stand tall for me when I ask you to do something, even if it may estrange you? And that's a question you have to ask and answer. That's between you and God. When you see how God wants from you, what he wants. But God is writing. He's writing on the wall of your heart that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And what it will mean. And what is this sacrifice? How great is that sacrifice? And just as it was so poignant and deep for Abraham to give up his one and only, what do you think it was for God to give up his one and only? Can you imagine what it was like for sovereign God to sit there and see Jesus Christ, God also, to be repudiated and persecuted on the cross? Can you imagine what it was like? That's why when you read John 3.16 now, your heart should resonate even more as it goes back to what took place on Mount Moriah. 2,000 years before. I can't, I can't leave this story without coming away with a, with a further appreciation for how much God loves us that he would do this for us. And so here's the thing. You need to leave here today with this story burnished in your heart and the ability to speak to an unsaved world about why you believe that God is your God and Jesus is God himself. And why it just didn't happen by accident. Why what we believe is not in blind faith. We do not have blind faith. You mean to tell me 2,000 years before God tells you what's going to take place? And it takes place and you're going to call it blind faith? This is no blind faith. This is the story that God has written about the greatest event that will take place in the world. That's what the third day is about. And he won't just do it here. He will do it over and over and over. As you're going to see in the coming weeks, there are about 40 other references. I'm not going to do all of them, but I'm going to point and show some of them. And one of them that I've already spoken to you about was Jonah, who spent three days in the belly of the whale. All right. And what did Jesus say? Jesus reiterated that story. And said, just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale, the Son of Man will also. 
be three days in the belly of the earth before he will rise. And so when people say to you, come on, you really believe these Bible stories? As that woman said to me on the, on the plane, you really believe that, a, that a, a whale swallowed a man or a big fish swallowed a man for three days? Well, all I know is that Jesus Christ, God himself, cited that story. That's pretty good evidence for me. Good enough for you? I'd say it's pretty good evidence for me. And so if Jesus said it, Jesus believed it, then that's good enough for me. I don't need any other further evidence. And to me, that's, that's case closed. Just like this is case closed. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your sacrifice. Father, I thank you that you've given us the Bible in such vivid detail and have, has opened it up to us through the Holy Spirit so that we see it with a newfound vision, understanding what you had for us, Lord. As we see how 2,000 years before you told us what you would do, how the world would never be the same, how it would be changed forever. And so, Father, we ask you to continue to burnish this in our heart. Help it to grow in our heart. And help us, Lord, each and every one of us, as we leave here today to be committed to teach this to a fallen world. Be with our people, Lord. Bless them and protect them and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.